You may find this hard to believe, but 60 songs that explain the 90s, America's favorite poorly named music podcast, is back with 30 more songs and 120 songs total. I am your host, Rob Harvilla, here to bring you more shrewd musical analysis, poignant nostalgic reveries, crude personal anecdotes, and rad special guests, all with even less restraint than usual. Join us once more on 60 songs that explain the 90s, starting Wednesday, May 17th, on Spotify. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining me, as always, is the Ringers' Jay Kyle Man. What's going on, man? We're here in person in L.A. Yeah, what a thrill. What a thrill. And uh, a lot, uh, we, we finally get some answers, Kev. We finally get a little bit of a, of a map to kind of figure out how to talk about what's going to actually happen. We don't have to just kind of talk about the prospects, like where they, we, we get to start <laughs> figuring out what decisions are going to be made. And this is where it really ramps up and gets fun. Well, there was an epic game one between the Lakers and the Nuggets that we just got done watching. We'll talk about that on other draft pod, other podcasts. But tonight, for this pod, it is a draft show, Kyle. So we're talking about what happened hours earlier, what could have changed the NBA. Everything was chalk with the draft order. Up until the fifth pick, the Pistons get pulled. They move from one to five, disappointing, sad for them. But then we get to the top four, and the San Antonio Spurs get the number one pick from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to now Victor Wembenyama. Three number one picks in their history. Three bigs. And here we are, Kyle. This changes absolutely everything for the Spurs and the NBA as a whole with Wimby now going to San Antonio. Pretty good slugging percentage historically for the Spurs <laughs> in this spot. And it's funny that like I, I was talking with you about, you know, you and I in person went to witness the uh, what I what I have described as basically like a religious experience of the of the the Wimby versus Scoot in Vegas, where where post game you and I were just kind of at the beginning of talking about and, and I think everybody everybody kind of saw this on the horizon that this made sense from a just like, well, naturally, San Antonio, the team that honestly was like the internet, they put international like scouting and stuff. They were the team that were light years ahead in that sense. So you were just like, doesn't it make sense for Pop, who's a guy sort of at the, like an inflection point of his career where it's like, well, he keep going. He doesn't have to. Wimby is like a breath of fresh air, assuming Pop decides he wants to keep going. Why would um, he not? Yeah. Why would he not? <laughs> you know, what a way, what a way to sort of uh, a thing to start. You know, he probably won't go the duration of Wimby's career for Wimby to stay healthy ideally that would be the case but um I mean it's just it's something we saw coming and and we still were just um 
it, it just seems like a great situation for Wimby. It's a it's a great fit for him. It'll be comfortable, and they're they're a franchise with a lot of like alumni that can help him yeah, too, and including a great Frenchman and Tony Parker. Um, so I'm sure that that'll be something there. Uh, and I think for Wemby going there to pop, he's 74 years old. I can't imagine if Wemby has a long, healthy, fruitful career, 15, 20 years for pop boy. Oh boy. I doubt he goes that long. If anybody could do it though, <laughs> get that, got that wine uh, longevity. Yeah, yeah. You never know there, but you're right. Like regardless of how long pop goes uh, as the coach of the Spurs, I think with San Antonio, I mean, even when they had Tim Duncan, nobody watched the Spurs. Like, they were considered a boring (laughs) team. Nobody really kept eyeballs on them. They're in one of the, let's just be honest, of the 30 NBA teams. I've never been to San Antonio, but from what I hear, one of the more boring cities. So they don't get a ton of coverage. Watch out, Barkley. You're going to have them coming for you. Don't comment (laughs) on the women, KLC. And now, now, though, they do have that basketball fit that works. I think for them, Jeremy Sohan, all rookies team player, you know, he's dying the hair. He's acting like Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Cosplay. He's, he's great on defense. He improved on offense as the year went on. He can play make a bit. He improved as a shooter. But Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson, those guys are the more proven commodities at the wing spot. Vassell, one of the better mid-range pull-up shooters in the league. Great three-point shooter coming off screens and handoffs. Like, I'm already getting, like, super excited with him and Wemby with the chemistry that they could have together. And Keldon Johnson. Him attacking closeouts, him on defense. I I think for the Spurs, you plug Wemby into this. You said it on our draft preview show. The Spurs are one of those teams where they have this good talent, Vassell, Johnson, Sohan, but they didn't have that centerpiece. And now that they have Victor Wembanyama there, I mean, they have a guy who in his – you know, Brian Windhorst flies out to France and interviews Wemby for a minute on ESPN after the after the pick was made, after the pick went to number one. The pick has already been made, to be, to be fair. <laughs> Wemby looked like he was running on fumes. That was some incredible like footage. 30 a.m., He was right? like, let's get there. Come on, let's go. Yeah. But he said in that interview with Wendy, Wemby and Wendy, that could be a podcast. There we go. Yeah. Well, Wemby said to Wendy, you know, I'm ready to start competing for championships ASAP. The Spurs have this young nucleus, but they also have like $40 million in cap space. To me, the Spurs suddenly become a team where you're thinking, well, what do we want to do with that money? Do we want to start competing now? They're 30th in defensive rating last year. Could they go after a Brooke Lopez, a veteran? Could they overpay to try to steal him from Milwaukee? $25, $30 million annually? I mean... I don't know. That's where my mind's going right now with the Spurs, Kyle. Could they become very good very soon? Yeah, you start to wonder, like you said, 30th in the league last year. A lot of that is, I, I think that like adding a rim protector, a two, a true like schematically like versatile rim protector, like like Wimmy. No offense to Zach Collins, who's probably just like you know snapping his fingers back to the bench for Zach Collins. Uh, <laughs> great trajectory. No, I mean like. The interesting thing about Wimby, I think the face-up aspect of his game, the fact that he's not a true five that's like he, – he offensively isn't a guy who's like he has to have his back to the basket. He definitely – he has a face-up perimeter skill set. And I made the point in the past that like he sort of projects as a sort of like a more um, a more like positive – like version of what Chris Tapps Porzingis does, but he brings you more stuff. So you, I think that's one of the interesting things about like when we were coming up to this draft about like where he might go is like what types of bigs can he not play with? So like if you start thinking about like a like if they went after like a Brooke Lopez or we talked about Indiana, could he play with Miles? You could get like a true like physical guy down there, and then you get a guy who can roam and give you like 
elite roaming rim protection as a helper because his closeouts are also crazy too. He just gives you a lot, and, and it makes you wonder. I would I would shoot it back at you. Like how much? How big of a jump from thirtieth to what? How much of a jump do you think San Antonio can make? I, I think it depends year? on what else they do. I yeah. really do. Like if because if I'm them, I want a Brook Lopez personally. And like it's early in the process here. We're not yet done with the conference finals. We're just beginning. But looking ahead, I just think that other teams on the market, there's not a lot of teams with cap space. I don't think the Bucks are going to have a ton of competition for Brooke. And maybe he would want to stay there even on a discount to try to run it back and compete for a championship. But if you can like offer double or near double what the Bucks are offering, there's nobody in the league who does what Brooke Lopez does. Uh, yeah, he from, offers what you're saying. He can be that roamer. He can be that beefy guy who's defending the Jokic's of the world. And then Wemby could be your roamer because Wemby can do that too. So mm-hmm. I, I, to me, I, I think if I'm the Spurs, I want to, I want to try to start winning ASAP, just like Wemby said he does, because I, because uh, that's also rooted in the belief in Devin Vassell. And in Keldon Johnson, and you know who else is going to win? Want to win as well? Greg Popovich, for sure. So Pop is going to want to get going, winning too. And for all these other teams that fall down and don't, you know, result in Wemby, sorry to all of them. Uh, <laughs> Charlotte does move to number two, though. They had the fourth best odds, and you know we talked about them again on our draft preview show, and. Now they're in a position to do something that you said could be a positive for them, which was Paris Coot Henderson, point guard out of the G League Ignite, 6'2", explosive guard, you know, Westbrook-esque, um, that type of player with LaMelo Ball, who can play with and without the ball. We've seen him flourish without it as a shooter. He can move without it, and, but he's at his best as a playmaker. But they are at the inflection point of the draft here. This is really where things get started here because they could also go with Brandon Miller out of Alabama, six foot nine has playmaking instincts in his own way, a better defender, he's bigger, he's a better shooter than Scoot. To me, Miller's the the clear choice, but this is going to definitely be something that is debated within that Hornets front office because there's a lot of logic behind pairing Scoot and LaMelo and having that be some supercharged backcourt, right, Kyle? Yeah, and I think you could put, I think you could potentially put LaMelo out there with Brandon Miller and then like if you want to keep PJ around, I think that makes sense. I think those two guys could play together, but I, I do PJ think... PJ Washington should be a keeper. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's just kind of been waiting for a situation that makes sense for him. Like, I think he's like an interesting 4.5 in this league that could, just needs to find a good situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Scoot and Lamelo thing makes sense because I think often when we think about NBA teams, we think about like we think about someone taking like the lion's share of the touches, and that's just the way that a team works. When really increasingly teams are moving towards this direction of like you want to have more. You look at OKC. You look at OKC. Clearly, they have a guy who is like the 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 tip of the spear for them. He's their primary score, but they have two guys that get a ton of reps, that get a ton of touches. And I think to be like a multifaceted, dynamic offensive team, you've got to be able to show multiple looks like consistently. A lot of guys can have a lot of touches. And, and I think if you had Scoot on ball, I think you get just as much of that playmaking because Lamelo is a is a promising relocator as a shooter. I think that his passing skill set doesn't like require him to have the ball in his hands all the time. I think there's like a fire and ice kind of thing that is really nice. And I think personality-wise, Scoot would be a good fit for Lamelo. I like that. I mean, both of them, I'm fine with either. I'd go Miller. I think he's the better prospect. But Scoot Lamelo would be exciting in in its own way and make a lot of sense from a basketball standpoint. And what Charlotte does is going to have a direct effect on the number three pick with Portland. Because Portland moves up. You know, they're the one team that did slide into the top four, um, bumping down the Rockets and bumping down the Pistons. So... Look, man, I think for Portland, 
They have Damian Lillard, who has already expressed that he doesn't want to have, you know, go through more of a rebuild and more young players. Well, now your team's got the number three pick in the draft, and it's very possible Scoot Henderson could be the guy on the board there if the Hornets go with Miller at two, which could happen. Scoot Henderson's a point guard. Damian Lillard's a point guard. They already have Anthony Simons. You're not going to draft a, a third smaller point guard. Like Scoot looks like a NFL linebacker. Shaden wants to evolve on ball too, yeah, so you got a lot sure. of mouths to feed on Absolutely. that front. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, for for Portland, it's a position right now where I could see them doing anything. They could they could keep the pick and draft Scooter Miller and trade Dame. They could keep the pick and keep Dame and say, you know what, dude? Like maybe you can maybe you can win with this guy. They could trade down. They could trade out. They could try to build with Dame. They're another team just like Charlotte. San Antonio is the only certainty. Two, who knows? Three, they could go any direction. Like somebody could move up for this point as well. Like Orlando has two firsts. Yeah. Two lottery picks. Yeah, I guess it, it it really depends on what you'd have. I mean, you have to look at the the fit and the needs for those teams in the four through ten, four through fourteen range, and think: it, are any of them going to covet Scoot? This is we. Pre- I mean, like we talked about this. Yeah, I remember we. T- I, I think it was probably a month or so ago. I w- I kind of was wondering if this ended up in a situation where they had the opportunity, or the, it was implied that they would get Scoot. Um, I wondered if they would trade out. I kind of feel like that's what they might do because it seems like doesn't it kind of feel like the the feeling you know when you put your ear to the wind, whatever. Like it just kind of feels like they're leaning towards doing whatever they can to to keep moving in the short term with with Dame. I could see them because they just don't have any need for a Scoot. I, I mean, I, will long-term, will Scoot be better than Simons? Do we know that for sure? Not really. I mean, like— Simons is really good. Yeah. Scoot's so, a better playmaker, though, than Simons, I, I believe. Yeah, it's—I mean, it's—I don't know that it's like a total, like in, like a for-sure shoe-in, but it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I could see them totally trading out if, if, uh, if they, you know, it could happen. And, and a lot of teams could. I mean, you mentioned the the needs of teams four through ten. I said Orlando with two lottery picks, six and eleven. But it could also be somebody like the Rockets saying we want to move up one spot to number three to assure we get our guy using you know a bundle of our future picks that we received through numerous other trades. Like Houston could move up as well. There's a lot of teams that could try to. And the Rockets do fall to number four. They had the second best odds. They're the second biggest loser in this year's lottery. The first biggest loser is the Pistons at five. We'll get to them in a moment. But Houston, man, at number four at this point, in my mock draft on the ringer, I have them taking Amen Thompson out of the overtime elite. And for them, you think about the position that they're in right now. Obviously, you want to have Wemby. Goes without saying, you would have loved, you know, Brandon Miller for that matter too. But Amen Thompson's a really high upside player, and I think about the fit with him and Jalen Green, two hyper athletic guards in the backcourt. Green less of a playmaker, Thompson more of that driving force. It could, and he, and Thompson's more of an energizer on defense as well. It feels like there could be something there that could make sense with the with the backcourt with him and Green, and then with you know you get Jabari Smith and Shengun and then Tari Eason and a bunch of quality young talent on that team. Thompson could be the piece that they actually need at number four. Yeah, I, I mean, an upgrade at like rim protection, like a rim protector would have been like the nice thing, but I don't think that there's a guy that makes sense value-wise to reach for at that point that high. Uh, I mean, the one thing your mind goes to is like Thompson and Jalen Green, is they're skinny. I mean, like skinny backcourts yeah. can get picked on pretty True. easily. Um, my question for you, and this is just hypothetical in the moment here, I mean, like Anthony Black versus an Amen Thompson, they offer similar things, but it's just Amen is such an off-the-charts athlete. I was telling 
telling, you know, I was telling some of the, our guys that we were watching the game with it. Like, I mean, next year he's going to be may, arguably the best perimeter athlete in the league. I mean, Amon Will. I mean, which one do you go for? I mean, I, like Black is offers a lot of the same things. He's like a monster defensively. He takes a lot of pride in it, gives you a lot of energy, gives you that connectivity. But I definitely could see them supporting Jalen in the way that you're talking about, like just giving you some more switchability, cross-switch, take away some of the pressure for him to guard the ball. Um, it makes sense on that front. I think Houston's also another team that could move out. It's very possible at number four. That's something that's been, you know, kind of out there throughout the year. Like, well, who knows with Houston? If they don't get number one, they could be a team. We know about the James Harden potential interest. Maybe they try to move number four for another player, sign Harden, trade four for, you know, insert, you know, top 30, top 40 player here with other picks. I mean, Houston could move out as well. Like this could be a like the way this draft shook out, you know, it, it went chalk up until number five. But the way those teams landed in the top four, I think it makes for a very, very interesting next handful of weeks leading up to the draft um, when it comes to the trade market. And and then at number five, the Pistons. I mean. Brutal. Yeah. I mean, brutal. Yeah, really brutal. You lose Cade all year and you know. And for what now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, assuming he like really, it's a legitimate problem. I don't know if they held him out maybe longer than they had to, or something like that. It, but yeah, it, it's, it's it was an issue. But I mean, maybe they wouldn't have you know went as far with you know the the surgery and whatnot, but it was an issue. Yeah, yeah, it's. I was I was noticing kind of a phenomenon with the, with this draft where it seems like for the teams you and I had a, had a conversation last week about like there are some teams that have the absence of sort of a roadmap for what they want to do and kind of going from nothing to having a roadmap map is like the hardest thing to do i think for the teams that are like the furthest away out from the in that like three to even to 10 range i feel like it's especially demoralizing because if you're really far away i don't feel like there are like these surefire like if we take this guy his his like superstar or even star or even like just his the upside feels lower to me past like the three spot so it just seems like the teams that are closer like in Orlando it's not as devastating you know whereas if you're if you were like the the Pistons or the Rockets it's a brutal brutal beat like the consolation prizes are fewer I feel like in the top five I I guess it depends on your evaluation of Cade Cunningham if you view Cade as a guy who's going to become a top 10 player in the league then you're like yeah well we got our guy we got our guy you seem skeptical. You're looking at me like you don't see that upside with Cade Cunningham. Uh, I've been, I mean. Who was a number one pick? Just Well, just to give you an idea of how the one, number one pick varies from year to year. I mean, I, I who who among, I mean, I'm like was one, I was a huge Cade defender, like for from way even before he got drafted. And I even like, I didn't, I don't know about him coming a top 10 player. Hey, because it's a, that's a tough racket. There's so many good players, but like who out there do you think even thinks that at this point, maybe even outside of the Pistons org? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it would have been they lost a lot. There's no way around it. And I don't I don't know that there is a pick for them at, you know, at five that is going to like really make them the needle move. I don't do you think they'll stay put, the Pistons? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean it it, it just sucks. <laughs> it seems like there could be like way more movement than normal in this Absolutely. Draft. I mean, yeah. like because then when you go to Orlando at number six, they also have the eleventh pick via Chicago with the Nikola Vucevic trade from a couple of years back. And Orlando, they have so much 
young talent already. Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter, Paolo Bancaro were the number one pick last year. Even Fultz is still young. I mean, up and down their roster, they have a lot of good, young, talented players. And the way they closed that season, how competitive they were, I mean, they almost lost their lottery pick. They almost snuck into the play-in. They could be a team with 6-11 and that says, hey, Portland, don't you think two picks would be more beneficial for you with the start of this rebuild than one pick? Or like, hey, hey, Houston, maybe you just want to even add more assets to your pile. Maybe you like the guy, maybe the guy you want at four, maybe they want Anthony Black, mm. not Amen Thompson. They can get Anthony Black potentially at six instead of at four. It could be that type of year this year. I'm, I'll tell you what, I don't even know if six and 11, it, that might be too much for number four. Yeah. Because it does I think it out. is. That's what I was thinking be. when you were saying mm-hmm. that. I, I would stay put if I was in Orlando. The only thing about so it is. You want to draft two then. Two guys to kind of like, Fill the gaps around everybody. Like a Cam Whitmore, yes. Grady Dick at 11, maybe, something like that. This is what I thought all along they might do. I don't know that they're going to be able to pull it off because these two guys might be off the board, but I, I had I had pegged for them like Whitmore or Kaysen. Like Those were the two guys that I was like, these two guys make sense. Like we talked about we talked about Whitmore. The touches are accounted for. It's a great de- developmental path What do you for like him. about Whitmore? Whitmore is, I mean, he's he's just a sports car of an athlete. I think you compared him to a car in your draft cut, yeah, didn't I you? Thought, I, mean, I think a semi truck with a Ferrari's <laughs> accelerator, something like that. <laughs> he's big, he's powerful, but I think that he has like switchability. Like I think that he could give them like he could be a tough assignment defensive player for them, and in a way like you don't force Franz to guard. Like to, I, I just think he could. It gives them switchability upside that's really interesting. And then if you manage to get him and Kaysen, then you I, I think they really need fluidity in their like movement shooting. I think they need another movement shooter on the floor to help them get some get some grease into the offense. But I. I think those two, I mean, you could even just trade one of the picks. I mean, uh, yeah. like, I, I think they stand to answer some of their questions, though. Like, uh, like you said, it, it flattens out in a way where I think I would just take, make the picks personally. At number seven, the Pacers. Uh, in my mock draft up on the Ringers NBA draft guide, I have Taylor Hendricks out of UCF going to the Pacers. I just view him, Hendricks, as one of the more versatile defenders in this year's draft. He would be a great fit next to Miles Turner in that front court. You'd have a five and a four that could both space to behind the arc. You'd have a great pairing for Tyrese Halliburton. Anybody can fit with Halliburton, to be fair. <laughs> but Hendricks is a, is a good shooter. You know, he can screen and roll like he did in high school and occasionally in college. Hendricks, to me, is one of those guys, whether it's Indiana or somebody else, in the middle of the lottery could end up an instant impact player in the NBA with upside long term. Yeah, I think he'd bolster your offense in in a way that like um, he's going to get open shots with that group. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of the pain points in his development, I think, are like him attacking closeouts and like him just developing his off the bounce game. But we had similar questions about Keegan Murray last year and the way that he did. And, you know, he went into a situation where the role was sort of defined. Um, But the defensive thing that you talked about, I think, is key because uh, last year, Indiana was like fourth in the league, I believe, in switches on ball screens, and they were the by far the most ineffective switching team in the league. So clearly, uh, if you if you read into that and say that's some part of the plan for them that they want to continue to grow in that way, uh, Hendricks would be a, a pick that would make sense going both directions. I mean, I, I've heard people talk about Jairus Walker there too to give you some more beef to uh, to guard some of those bigger players and things like that and contain ball pressure. But um, either one of those could make sense for me. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, like the way they play, uh, they clearly want to be a switching team 
So whether it's Hendricks or whether it's Jarris Walker uh, out of Houston, somebody like that would make a lot of sense for them considering their current core and and the way that the style of play that they do on the court. So I think, you know, after that, we get eight and nine Wizards and Jazz. You know, this is at a point of the draft where who knows what could end up happening, where where players could go. This is where things really start to flatten out. Um, the Wizards, it's going to come down to what happens with Bradley Beal. Other than that, they're a clean slate. The Jazz, obviously, Lowry Markkinen, you know, he wins uh, most improved player of the year. He's an all-star. And and Walker Kessler, all-rookie team, you know, one of the best rookies in all of basketball. They have a lot of good there. But for the most part, the Jazz and the Wizards feel like just clean slates, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, on our, I had kind of like broken down by teams, and I was writing down what their core was and what their thing they, is that they need to address. And for both the Wizards and the Jazz, I just wrote, doesn't matter, exclamation point, uh, because <laughs> they, they just need to go with what like like you said like with the wizards i I imagine the wizards are like uh one of those yard sales where you ask the person is this for sale and they're like "Eh." i feel like if you went to the wizards yard sale and asked them hey is this for sale you kick the tires on whatever it is everything's for sale like i i think there's no there's nothing that knowing the wizards my thinking here is like the total opposite because they seem to do the total opposite of what i think they're going to do in most situations and it seems maybe their ownership group is pretty motivated by staying kind of not bottoming out all the way uh if i were them though i mean it's just be- best available for both of these teams i would think wouldn't yeah, you no yeah. for sure there's no doubt about it with both of them and the jazz are especially inter- interesting though considering their amount of picks that they have uh, if utah had moved up to number four or number three i would have been very interested to see hey can what can they do to move up to number two yeah. uh, with the amount of draft capital that they received for donovan mitchell and rudy gobert but at number nine even then i mean i'm intrigued like what could they do to move up to four could they put together enough picks to to move up to that spot? Is there a player Danny Ainge is targeting, or maybe does he just want to stay put at number nine and take the best player, best available player there? Number ten, the Mavs. They would have been, as we said on our draft preview show, the most, you know, it would have broke NBA Twitter if the Mavs got the number one pick. Spurs didn't quite as much. Everybody's, you know, celebrating in their own way. It's very cool that it happened, but Twitter would have shut down if the Mavs moved up from 10 to number one to pair Wemby with Luka. With that said, they didn't. (laughs) But they did keep their pick. If they had fell to 11, they would have lost it to the Knicks. So their tanking for, you know, a couple of weeks was, was at least a success to keep their draft pick this year. And number 10 is very similar to eight and nine here. Um, they could go a lot of different directions. I could see them as a team if they want to add another ball handler to their rotation, somebody like a Cason Wallace out of Kentucky. I mean, his defensive presence, you know, everything that he can provide on that end, the complimentary, you know, shot creation next to Luca being your primary could make sense for them. Also, you could go, you know, to a Jarris Walker type. We talked about him briefly earlier. Out of Houston, someone who's versatile on defense. He he did he did a little shot creation in high school, less so than at Houston. But primarily, I think about him like next to Luca, a screener, someone to force mismatches, a cutter, spot up shooter, and a defensive weapon, uh, which is something that they severely need in, in that front court. So I, I think for Dallas here, assuming they even keep the pick again, another one of those teams, they're trying to win now. Are they actually going to keep their pick? 
But assuming they do, uh, I lean towards a Jarris Walker type more so than a, a Case and Wallace type. But what do you think, Kyle, for Dallas? I think the two things that you're weighing are sort of the short timeline reality, which is the heaviest reality with Luca. I think that you got to draft somebody that's going to be ready to go. I know we've kind of talked about the guys that we have a list of guys that we think are going to be most ready to go out of the gate. And those tend to be older guys. But, it, you know, if you're just going raw basketball thing, like what do we need the most? I think that they it'd be amazing if they could add some more rim protection, if they could just add some more backline sort of competence, but reaching the number 10 for that kind of thing, I just don't know that they're going to do it. Are you, are you really going to reach for a Derek Lively at 10? Are you going to reach for, I mean, like a, I mean, like a, a Najee? I don't think it's going to happen. So I, I think it's more likely that they're going to hope that one of these guys that maybe a, like, like a non-shooter, I think is probably a tougher sell for the Mavs at this point. But yeah, again, I know we keep saying Casey, but I, I think somebody that can, like we said, cross switch with Luca. That's something you always want to try to find. And if you can get somebody that has some playmaking upside too and some shooting upside, that would be a home run. But is that guy going to be available at ten? Like, I don't think they're going to go for like a Grady Dick. I don't know that it's going to be. Uh, that seems like adding another defensive potential liability for them with a team with like championship aspirations. I don't know that they're going to do that. Yeah, I'm with you there. And after that, Orlando, we talked about them earlier as two picks at six and eleven. OKC at 12, Toronto at 13, New Orleans at 14. It was all chalk there. Um, any thoughts at the top of your mind for those teams at the back of the lottery? Uh, for OKC, I guess it's a question of uh, you're well on your way. You're you're a team that's very much knocking on the door. Um, I wonder if they're going to stay there because I don't know that they're going to be able to get kind of what, – what are you looking to add? I don't know if you're looking to add another like dribble pull-up shooter. You know, uh, I would assume – I mean – you 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 had Nick Smith attached to them at one point, didn't you? I, I believe I had them in there as a, as a pick in a mock. In the current mock draft, I have Leonard Miller out of the G League. Uh, he's been a fast riser throughout the the really the draft season, you know. But started at the end of the G League season. Leonard Miller was spectacular for the Ignite to end the year. Numbers up across the board, shooting efficiency from inside the arc, beyond, behind the arc, uh, volume was up. Everything was better, and since the season ended. He has really been hard at work at P3 on his shooting mechanics, and the people I talked to around the league are like, I mean, it seems pretty real. Hmm. So if you have Leonard Miller at, uh, he came in at six foot nine, I believe, uh, at the NBA draft combine measurements, six nine with his length and versatility on defense, he can handle a little bit for you. If the shot's for real and he produces a lot like he did to end the season for the Ignite, he's the type of player that it feels like OKC could take a swing on at number 12 if he's even there. Leonard Miller could still rise more. That, that's that's my understanding with him. We'll see how it pans out, but keep an eye on Leonard Miller. Yeah, he he's one of those every year there's sort of the, and sometimes this is inconsequential, and sometimes it's the little differentiator that you need to say like, okay, this guy's special. I mean, he was definitely one of the combine guys that as you're kind of perusing the the spreadsheet of the looking for numbers that pop out. I mean, yeah. your eyebrows went up when you saw Leonard Miller uh, because uh, he's lanky. I mean, he give you some more, OKC's taking a gamble on a few guys like this. You know, Usman Jang is a guy last year Poku, that was my yeah, guy. Poku. Poku. They just keep taking the stabs, and it's like you you add another guy who I mean, bring him along slowly. You know, I, he's not going to be expected to handle the ball much with OKC. It's going to be you know, you know, it's catch chase, it, it's catch his show, yeah, catch and shoot, and you know, attack the basket and take you know defensive assignments. I'd assume he'd spend quite a bit of time in the G League if OKC did pick him up, but uh, he's somebody that. The optimists, 
uh, have to be feeling pretty good about him right now because yeah. the, the movement on him is pretty positive. For sure, absolutely. And I, I think with Toronto and New Orleans, I mean, they're in an interesting spot at the end of the lottery because a lot of the guys that I have in that range are are guard types that could fit there. You know, think about Toronto. They have Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. They're loaded with wings. They got Jacob Pertle at the deadline who helped bolster their, their defense, but they need more shooting, especially if Fred Van Vliet leaves this summer. But even if they does, they, they, they do need that help there. So I think I got like Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. That's why I have slotted them there in my mock draft right now. Think he'll climb that high? Very well could. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of late lottery hype for him right now. Bufkin, two-way guy, you know, gritty defender, very tough on that end can handle the ball a bit I'd love to see a two-man game with him and Scotty Barnes running dribble handoffs together could be pretty exciting or even like a Nick Smith who I have at New Orleans at number 14 but a Nick Smith a guy you've liked throughout the year as we've talked about the draft and up and down for him but there's no denying his scoring talent and his length and his ability to kind of make plays even when he's not scoring so you know in that range of the draft the Keontae Georges of the world the Jordan Hawkins type feel like those teams or if Grady Dick were to slip a little bit to the back of the lottery, somebody like that can make a lot of sense for Toronto or New Orleans based off their existing personnel uh, with the forwards that we mentioned with Toronto and then, of course, with Zion and Ingram, theoretically, with New Orleans. But definitely guys like Trey Murphy and Herb Jones, they could use some some backcourt help alongside C.J. McCollum. Yeah. With Toronto, it it seems like their tolerance for drafting guys who are going to be put strain on kind of defensively what they're trying to do, it seems like their tolerance for that is pretty low. So, but I also do think that, you know, you got to, you got to play both sides of the ball and it doesn't like the Van Vliet thing you said about Keontae, Keontae George, I think is somebody, one of the better, like pick and roll dribble pull up shooters in the draft. Up and uh, down year for him at Baylor, but they're definitely a very impressive guard. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Buffkin also makes sense. I think somebody, he, he just adds some more kind of fluidity to your offense. Offense. I don't know that they're going to like reach for like a Jordan Hawkins type um, or like it makes me it makes me wonder who is going to reach. I'm not trying to make it about Jordan Hawkins here, but um, a team, what team is going to use him or what team does he make the most sense for? Because what he does is very specific and very, very uh, useful, but it's kind of he's not a big time driver. So you think he's probably going to go to a team that runs a lot of off screen offense, maybe a Miami the Warriors. or the Warriors. But we were talking about Buffkin with the Warriors makes sense. But like it sounds like you are unsure or not confident that he'll even be there. I mean, there's still a long way to go. I mean, there's, a, you know, another over a month until the draft and the combine is only beginning this week. You know, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, big day ahead. And then you get pre-draft workouts, pro days. I mean, we know the order now, though, Kyle. Oh, yeah. We know the order. But there's still so much that's going to be happening over this next month. We get a lot planned on the draft show. Definitely going to bring on our friend Tyler Parker to talk about Oklahoma City. Uh, a whole bunch else coming as well for the next, you know, six weeks, Kyle, leading up to the NBA draft. I'm fired up, man. What a night, man. Congrats to Spurs fans and the Spurs front office and Greg Popovich at his old age at 74, <laughs> getting a coach, all these <laughs> legends, and now a legendary prospect in Victor Wembanyama. Last thought with Wemby. Woj and, and, and all of them on the pregame show were like talking about Wemby as the greatest prospect ever. I was hoping you'd say this. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit much to say he's a Better prospect than LeBron James. And I, I think Wemby is probably the second greatest prospect ever. Maybe the third. You could say Kareem as well. Like this, like if you want to go back further. But since LeBron, he's the greatest prospect we've seen. But greater than LeBron? I don't know. 
I feel like those are probably the three, I think, if you think about like what Kareem was. He was just a can't miss, had been like yes. a three-time national champ, player of the year, was an unstoppable player at all levels, a, a, a unicorn, an alien in a similar way, physically phenomenal. I think that those three guys have that in common. Yeah, I was surprised that Woe seemed like he really wanted to hammer that point. He said it several, Multiple several times, times yeah. and I was like... <laughs> I was like, yeah, but you know, like what LeBron does, you know, you can't, you can't, um, you can't understate the uniqueness of that and the longevity too. I think the questions about longevity are the thing that makes too that you have to consider in there. It's like it was less of a worry, I think, about like LeBron's frame. You know, we'd seen a frame like that work. Now, if if Wimby's frame, it, I don't know. It's you know, it's, the, the history of players that are over seven foot two is. Very mixed. Yeah. A lot of those guys have short careers. A lot of them have injury-riddled careers. And with Wemby as lean as he is, that makes things especially interesting as well. He has played every game for the Mets 92 this year and for the French national team, but they play like once a week. Yeah. Once a week. That's part of the reason why his camp made him sign there, so he would play every game, and so he wouldn't have an extensive NBA-style schedule. But guess what? That's he's, what it's going to be, and he's going to a team that they're one of the pioneers of uh, of, well, of uh, yeah, love management. So this is a great man. This is a great. <laughs> you know. It really could be a great fit in a lot of different ways for Victor Wembanyama going to San Antonio. Yeah, Adam Silver <laughs> under his breath was probably that's where his mind went. Stern would have been all over this. He would have been on the uh, phone now. You know, he's got to yeah, play. Uh, uh, Stern, you know. Stern would have had those lottery balls super weighted as they were bouncing around there in that private room. I said, you know, I was like, we know the fix is in if uh, Silver keeps blowing on his hands before he grabs the envelope. But we didn't see anything nefarious. Oh luckily. man, dude, I'm. I'm fired up. I'm so excited to to see what unfolds because, like you know, like we talked about San Antonio, suddenly maybe they become a team for trades, for free agents. So much is going to change over the months ahead. There's going to be a lot of rumors. I can feel it already. Trade season's going to be fun, Kyle. It's going to be wild, dude. Uh, I'm fired up, man. Kyle, thank you so much for flying out to L.A. and doing this podcast. I, I look forward to the coming weeks, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jonathan Kerma for producing, replacing Jesse Lopez this week. He's out. He'll be back next week. Thank you so much. Please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. It really does help. Have a good rest of your day.